This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Today we continue our series. For those of you that have been with us, we've been in a series called The Deadly Seven. And we're looking at uh, seven deadly sins. This is actually lesson number five, so we've got a couple more to go after today. But I want to begin by asking a few questions to kind of set the stage for our study. How much... How much money is enough? And I know John D. Rockefeller answered the question by saying, just a little bit more. But how about you? How much money is enough for you? Um, Just a little bit more? Maybe a lot more? What amount of money would cause you to say, "I I think that's enough? I think that's enough. For you property owners, how much property is enough? Or for those of you that like shoes, how many pairs of shoes are enough? How many shirts, pants, outfits are enough? How much of the latest technology is enough? How many guns in your collection are enough? How much is enough? Those questions will lead us into our study of the very difficult subject of greed. Now, I can almost guarantee you that nobody here thinks they have a problem with greed. As I said a few weeks ago, I've heard people confess so many different types of horrible sins and even horrible crimes. Um, But I don't Just as I said, I don't remember hearing anyone confess the sin of pride that we dealt with a few weeks ago. I've never heard anybody confess the sin of greed. And maybe it's because we can't see it in ourselves. You know, I can see greed in you. Some of you, I feel, are greedy. I can spot it a mile away. You can spot greed in me a mile away. But we can't seem to spot greed in ourselves. And because of that, as we begin this lesson, most of us are relaxed, unlike last week when we talked about the sin of gluttony. Man, you were tight. You were nervous. Some of you were cranky. Our our blood pressure spiked. But today, man, we are chill. Because in our minds, we're not guilty. Now, again, the person, you know, a couple rows away, they're definitely guilty. They they own a nicer house. They've always got the latest phone, technology, you know, they're, because they work, 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 too many hours. They're absolutely greedy, but we're not. But I think by the time we finish this lesson, if I would give an altar call for the greedy people that are here, and if they would be willing to come forward, this altar would probably be lined several deep with people confessing the sin that we can't spot in ourselves. Now, it's a bit tough to define greed in a way that accurately covers all aspects of greed. American psychologist Eric Fromm probably said as well as as anybody, he said, greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. So, for a greedy person, enough is never enough. 
And typically we think of greed as relating to money, and, and it does relate to money. But today we're going to find out that greed also extends into other areas. For example, some people are generous with their money, but they're greedy with their time. They'll pay their tithe, but all of their time is devoted to themselves. They always have time to fish or shop or sleep or be on social media, but they never have time to help anyone else or help around the church. They're greedy with their time. Other people are greedy with their talents. Again, they'll give their money, but, but you can't get them to use their gift of music or teaching or use their ability to work with their hands in any ministry in the church. And, you know, as, as we have learned something around here that I, I think it was Lucille Ball for you old timers. Lucille Ball was given credit for coining the phrase that goes something like this. If you want something done, ask a busy person to do it. And a lot of our volunteers that, that, that clean the church or mow the lawn or teach or help with activities, they're super busy people. They're, they're not retirees that are bored and have extra time on their hands. Now, we do have retirees that faithfully volunteer their time, and I thank God for them. They're amazing in this stage of life where they could sit back and say, I've served my time. They want to serve. Let's give them a hand. But joining these retirees are others that have full-time jobs. They have a family with small kids. They're involved in all kinds of school activities. You know what blesses me so much is sometimes during the week I see families come in, small kids, and they're helping clean the church, pushing a vacuum sweeper. And um, they know what it is to serve. Now, Having said that, it's true that greed many times does involve money. This past week, I went to the Forbes website that gives the richest billionaires in the world. And as I looked at their names, I was very disappointed I didn't find my name there. But according to Forbes, the richest man in the world is 50-year-old Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, also the founder of The Boring Company, SpaceX, many other ventures, his net worth changes hourly with the fluctuation of the market. In fact, the downturn in the market has reportedly cost Elon some $40 billion this year, uh, but Forbes had his net worth at $219 billion. Number two is Jeff Bezos at Amazon, $171 billion. And, 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 and these are figures from Forbes that are 2022, but I'm sure they're off because of the down market. But other notables, Bill Gates, number four with $129 billion of assets. And 10 years ago, I was looking up the list for 10 years ago, he had $61 billion. He's done pretty well for himself, doubled his money in 10 years. And it's interesting, as I was just researching Bill Gates, I, I was researching his, his, his religious beliefs, and he was raised a Congregationalist, but now he says, I'm an agnostic. He says, I don't know if there's a God or not. Number five was 91-year-old Warren Buffett with $118 billion. T Ten years ago, he was at uh, $44 billion. He's almost tripled his money. Not too bad for a nonagenarian, or in other words, someone in their 90s. And, and two years ago, it was reported that he felt he could finally afford to upgrade his phone from a flip phone to a smartphone. He has 5.6% ownership in Apple, and so his smartphone of choice was an iPhone. But when it comes to his religious beliefs, it's interesting. He was raised Presbyterian, 
But since he's described himself as an agnostic. Now, when I think of of greed, I, I think of living life with a closed fist. Um, And this is the lifestyle that's really being lived in in our society. Closed fist living. It's where we say, it's mine and you can't have it. But let me let you in on a great secret. I've discovered that when I keep my fist closed, yes, in some ways my resources might be safer. They won't get taken from me. but, But a closed fist also means God can't add to those blessings. But when I hold my resources with an open hand and live a generous lifestyle of blessing others with my resources. Yes, there's a chance that some shyster may get to me, but an open hand also allows God to give me more. And an open hand allows me to store up treasures in a place where it really matters, a place where it can't be taken away by shysters and crooked attorneys and and even sleazy pastors who try to weasel people out of their money. So as we get ready to read our scripture, again, I ask you, how much, how much is enough? At what point does seeking more wealth become greed? If, if you have enough for your family and for your retirement, is it greedy to continue to try to accumulate more wealth? Well, there are some people that say, absolutely. If you have enough, but keep working hard, you're greedy. But is that really true? I think some of you will be surprised at the biblical answer to that question, but you're going to have to wait. We'll address this a little bit later on. Let's jump into our scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Common passage that you know well. Yet true religion, or some translations say godliness, with contentment is great wealth. After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world. We certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So do you realize... The playing field is level at two times in our life, at birth and at death. We're all the same. Birth, death, we have nothing that we're going to bring in or take with us. But in the meantime, between birth and death, that 70 to 80, sometimes 90-year period between birth and death, goes on in verse 8, says, if we have enough food and clothing during that time period, let us be content. So question, do you have enough clothes? Do you have enough food? Some would say, of course not. That's why I have packages coming to my doorstep several times a week. But if we have reasonable amounts of food and clothing, we should be content. Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped. Catch this word, trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, what are some of those traps that plunge people into destruction? Now, maybe get rich scams. Remember, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Another common trap that a lot of us are guilty of is spending and living beyond our financial means. Verse 10, for the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money is neither good nor bad. It's a thing. It's a thing. But money makes a really bad God. And loving money causes us to make bad choices. Goes on and says, and some people craving money. Craving. And, and that word crave, um, 
Have you ever had a craving for a certain type of food? Um, in the original, I, I, I did a word study on craving. The original Greek word actually means to stretch yourself out for it. Um, picture a piece of chocolate dessert with heavy amounts of whipped cream and nuts. Sorry, Jim. And this dessert is on the top shelf, and you're on your tiptoes trying to reach it. You're, you're stretched out as far as you can trying to get your hands on that dessert. And this scripture is saying that some people craving have stretched themselves out to get rich. They've stretched themselves so thin emotionally and physically and spiritually. And what has happened when they've stretched themselves out so thin? It says they've actually wandered from the faith Uh-oh. and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So, again, people who have stretched themselves so thin, trying to get more and more and more, they've wandered away from Jesus. And they've experienced many sorrows. And have you thought about that? What what, what sorrows are people pierced with when they're stretching themselves out so thin to get more and more? Well, one of the very common sorrows, they lose their health. Stretching yourself so thin emotionally, physically, you lose your health. Another one is they lose their family. And how many times have I heard this story? A dad or mom, they're so consumed with work and, and they end up losing their marriage. And their kids grow up without much of a relationship with dad or mom. And, and they basically lose their kids. Remember, parents, 18 years is about all you get with your kids. Sometimes they'll come back. But 18 years, and for those of you parents, you've got some that are nearing that, you're thinking, I can't believe it. It's gone by just like that. Not to mention that many times, not always, but many times when people experience some success as they stretch themselves out to get more and more, they become arrogant, sometimes a bit mean, sometimes overly demanding. Now, I've seen some people, when God blesses them, they stay humble and approachable. Nothing changes about them, but I've seen others that slowly become cocky and become less compassionate, more hard-nosed, and success changes them, not for the good. And so this scripture says that when we crave, and that word again means stretch ourselves out so thin, when we stretch ourselves out more and more, many times, we will wander from the faith and pierce ourselves with many sorrows. That's not my word. That's God's word. Now, greed, according to studies, as of 2021, last year, is one of the leading reasons that 8 out of 10 Americans have unhealthy levels, levels of consumer debt. According to a 2021 CNBC report, the average American has, are you ready for this? in debt. And again, you can go to different sites and that number does vary. But in that amount, the average auto loan debt is $27,000, $27,804. The average credit card debt is $5,135. It's become a way of life for us. Now, I realize that today it's hard to make a living. And I'm not being critical of those who have debt. I've gone through all of that myself. The cost of living today is high. 
Um, and this may be discouraging for those of you with small kids, but uh, it, it said, and I read this again, I'd heard it and I read it again, that the average cost of taking a child from birth to the age of 18 is $250,000. So if you've got a small kid in the house, know that that kid is going to cost you a quarter of a million dollars just to get them out of high school. And then 40% of Americans say they could not cover an emergency of $400. So, so your washing machine goes out and it's going to put you in a bind because you don't have the money to replace it. And again, th there's no doubt that times are really tough today, but it's always been interesting to me how you can have a person that we might put in the category of, of lower middle class because they don't make a high salary. They do okay, but not great. And but that family, many of them are debt-free, and they've got some financial margin. But then you may have another family that might make a lot of money, but they owe not only on their own home, but they owe on their cars, their credit cards. They're in debt up to their ears. And, and again, my intention is not to be critical here because I realize there are circumstances. Sometimes there are illnesses. Sometimes there are accidents, unforeseen events that, that cause financial indebtedness, but Many times our indebtedness is simply because we spend above our means, we live above our means, we live in a home that's above our means, we drive a vehicle that's above our means, we buy things that maybe are not super expensive, but we just keep buying. And I found that instead of our society talking about budgeting, they're like the Citibank commercials that bid us to live rich. Now, as long as we possess our possessions, there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. But when our possessions possess us, and when they hold us hostage, that's when we will be pierced, as the Scripture says, with many sorrows. Well, what are some other things that greed does to us? Second Peter 2.3 says, In their greed they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. So, so greed brings about an erosion of our ethics, an erosion of our character and causes us to lie. We lie to get more. See if this hits you. We lie about the age of our kids to get them into a theme park at the cheaper rate. Or we lie to a restaurant to get them in at a lower rate. We lie to the government about our income. We, we try to lie to God about how much tithe we should get back to Him. It's as if you know, doesn't God really know how much we make? It's like, well, I'm going to fool him here. Greed causes an erosion in our ethics and our character. What else does greed bring about? Proverbs 28, 25. Greed causes fighting. Have you ever watched animals, how cruel they are to each other? We say, oh, they're so sweet. Watch them. Watch a flock of turkeys. They're constantly pecking at each other and trying to flog each other. You, you've heard me tell about our two little Pomeranian dogs. One is a dog that we rescued named Sassy. I call her Fat Dog, and she's never liked me very well for some reason. Um, our youngest dog is called Samson. Uh, Samson is so sweet, but he's so greedy. He, he can't stand for anyone to pet Fat Dog. Uh, I mean, he goes over there, those rare times when, when Fat Dog will have anything to do with me and wants me to pet her, he goes over there and wants the strokes and pushes her away. Uh, but, but the biggest thing, this goes to a new level when we give them a rawhide bone, and, 
and everything is fine as long as Samson is the only one with a bone. But as soon as we give Sassy or, or Fat Dog her bone, he will snarl. And in fact, if we've got people there that, that aren't used to this, they will say, okay, get ready. There's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of snarling and, and barking and chasing. And she said, it's going to be okay. But what happens is that Samson will try to get her bone. He's got one, mind you. And sometimes he will actually succeed and he'll be running around the house with two bones in his mouth. She'll have none. Guess what? Humans are no better. From kids on the playground to adults in the workplace and adults, especially on Black Friday, you have humans that fight with each other because of greed. Here's something else I found interesting in Scripture. Look at this list of sins surrounding greed in Ephesians 5.3. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity. And those two would kind of go together because they would have a, kind of a moral theme there. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. So God put the sin of greed in a list of serious sins, sexual sins, which may be the reason that in the Bible, God addressed the issue of money and possessions more than any other topic except for the topic of the kingdom of heaven. Of the 30 parables Jesus told, 16 of them dealt with money and possessions. There are about 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, 2,000 verses on money or possessions. Why? Because human nature is full of greed. That's why a child of 18 months old, we say, oh... They're my precious little angel. That precious little angel will have two suckers in his hands, and they'll try to take away the sucker from the child that only has one. You've probably heard this or something similar, but a survey was taken that asked people what they'd be willing to do for $10 million. 3% of parents said they would put their children up for adoption, and and I know sometimes it would take a lot less for that. you know, give them away. But seriously, 3% of parents said that they would actually put their children up for adoption for $10 million. 16% of husbands and wives said they would leave their spouse. 25% said they would abandon their family and never have contact with them again. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. A second survey was given a few weeks later, dropping the amount to $1 million. 65% said they would live on a deserted island for a year. 30% said they would spend six months in jail for a crime they didn't commit. Then the survey dropped the amount to $3,000. 24% said they would reveal a friend's secret even though they promised to keep it. For $500, 66% said they would kiss a total stranger. For $50, Isaac, $50. 75% said they would kiss a frog. And obviously some of these things are harmless, but, but our love of money many times leads us down a slippery slope of poor ethics and dishonesty. So let's come back to the question that I raised early on in the message. At what point do we become greedy? How much is enough? If we have enough in our account to take care of our family and comfortably retire, is it greedy to continue to work and accumulate more and more? Well, let me begin my answer by saying that greed has nothing to do with how rich you are. 
The truth is that people with less sometimes struggle more with greed than those who have more. You know, that, that's why a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck, they're consumed with winning the lottery. They think that that's the silver bullet. You know, if I could just have enough money, then all of my problems would go away. So they go buy scratchers tickets, and even though they can't afford them, um, they say that Americans spend about $80 billion per year in some form of gambling. And this might interest you, and I've never, never been to this website, but the National Lottery website, and this is not some conservative post or anything like This is the National Lottery website. I went to it this past week. says that your chances of winning the jackpot, jackpot are 1 in 45 million dollars. 45, in, in one, 1 in 45 million, I'm sorry. 1 in 45 million. And to put that, put that in perspective, listen to these other odds. Your odds of being killed by a tornado are 1 in 5.7 million. Hmm. Um, your odds of being mauled by a bear are 1 in 2.1 million. Our odds increased with the bear that was hanging around here for a while. Your odds of being killed by a shark, 1 in 7 million. You say, we don't have sharks around here. Okay, then I'm going to bring this down to home here. Your odds of being killed by a cow. You want to know? One in 9.3 million. Your odds of winning the jackpot? One in 45 million. But yet 183 million people in our country sink money into this lose, 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 lose situation. But all of that to say that we need to be careful that we don't automatically label those who have money as, as being greedy. They could be. But wealth in itself cannot be the determining factor of greed. Now, nor should we label those who may happen to have wealth but choose to still work hard and develop new businesses as being greedy. The, the truth is that God has gifted some people in the area of making money. Uh, and as long as they're God-honoring... As long as they're not hurting their family, as long as they're not hurting their health, then they really have the responsibility of using their gift to make as much money as God would have them make and bless others with it. So again, greed has nothing to do with having a certain amount of money or possessions. There's a German proverb that I came across this week that says, a poor person isn't he who has little, but he who needs a lot. So you can have a lot of money and be poor. You can also have very little money and be rich. I heard the story of a lady that was a spender. One day she got her credit card stolen and the family was talking about this with someone and they said, well, did you report the stolen credit cards? And the husband said, no, the thieves are spending less than she did. <laughs> so I'm okay with it. Now, what I want to do... Um, for the last segment of our study is, is to take dozens or maybe even hundreds of, of verses in the New Testament. That might scare you right there, but I want to try to condense Jesus' teaching to help us understand the opposite of greed. And do you know what the opposite of greed is? Generosity. Jesus issued a clear call to a life of generosity. And so we all get the opportunity to define 
what will characterize our lives? Will it be greed or generosity? And, and in this church, as I look around, that there, there are some of you here that you are known for your generosity. In fact, some of you have been taken advantage of because you're so generous. Um, but, but I believe your open-handed living will be rewarded in heaven. And, and you will be rewarded way beyond the money that you lost to people who took advantage of you. So, so in this congregation, there are many who are defined by generosity, but there are others in our community and, and maybe even a few in this church that are not known for their generosity, but they're known as being stingy and greedy. Some are greedy with their time. It's all about them. Others are greedy with their talents. God has gifted them with abilities, but they don't want to use them for Jesus. Some are greedy with their money. They're tightwads. They never bless others. And again, the remedy for greed is generosity. Look at these verses in Acts chapter 20. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So I was talking about sharing to those with those who had need. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So in other words, it's better to be a giver than a taker. Greed at the end of the day is a life-draining option. Generosity is a life-giving option. Greed is the key to paranoia. You're always afraid that Somebody's going to take what you have. Generosity is the key to peace of mind. Greed eventually robs you of life. Generosity gives life. So I'm calling this church to live a life of generosity. Not being irresponsible, not just blowing money, not just giving away without a plan. That's not the true spirit of generosity. But, but I think it's possible for our church to create a revolution of true generosity in our community that will make this a better place. And what would a revolution of generosity look like? What would generous living mean? Well, I think it would cause us, first of all, to be generous in the area of our time. You know, there's a well-known story in the, in the Bible about a man who really got it when it came to spending his time wisely. It's a story we call the story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, a man was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and for those of you that have been to Israel, you know that uh, Jerusalem is up on the hill, Jericho is down the hill, so they went way down, kind of in the area, not too far from where the Dead Sea was, there in Jericho. And, and we don't know this man's name, but he was on a dangerous road, he was beaten, he was robbed, left for dead. Three people come by him, you know the story. The first person who comes by is a priest. That priest, because of his position as a priest, didn't have time for him. He felt he was too good, had other important things to do, and he didn't, um, didn't want to touch somebody who was bloody. He passed by, passed this man that was in desperate need of help. A Levite comes by. The Levite felt the same way. He had a high standard for himself, and and the Levite, if he would have touched this bloody man, he would have become unclean for seven days. And so, in other words, he would have had to have quarantined for seven days. We know a little bit about quarantine today. He made the decision to cross to the other side of the road. The, Sarah, the Samaritan came by. 
Jews didn't get along with Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. But the Samaritans stopped, took time, helped the guy, took him to a local inn so he'd get some proper medical care. And at the end of the story, Jesus asked, which of these should you be like? And the disciples said, the one that showed him mercy. And, and Jesus said to them and to us, go and do likewise. And on that particular day, even though the Samaritan probably had a busy day ahead of him, he decided that the best use of his time was to stop and help someone in need. And I tell you what, one of the biggest temptations for me is to, because I'm working on my sermon, I have so much to do, sometimes there is the tendency to ignore people. But ladies and gentlemen, our business is people. And if we ever get too busy to help people, we're too busy. God has called us to invest in the lost, the last, and the least. He's called us to invest in hurting people, messed up people. And that's the investment that pays eternal dividends. So what do we need to do differently to be less greedy and more generous with our time? And I was thinking about this this past week. We, we, we have so many of you that play a role, a big role in, in, in making our weekend God-honoring. When you get here Sunday morning, here are some things you probably didn't even think about. The church lawn is beautiful. It's been mowed by volunteers. The church is clean. A lot of that has been done by volunteers. The coffee is made. Our volunteer coffee chaplain, Diet. She gets here about 6 o'clock Sunday morning to start making coffee for all of you addicts. The donuts are on the counter, picked up by our volunteer donut chaplain, Gene, sometimes Kyle. And by the way, um, donuts doubled in price this week. Did you know that? We got the notice this past week that now uh, they're going to be double the price that we've been. So as you take a bite of the few donuts that are left for the second service, you need to be appreciative because inflation has finally hit the donuts. The bulletins who have been folded by volunteers are now being handed out by other volunteers. You take your kids to the kids' department and they will be lovingly cared for and taught by volunteers who, by the way, have submitted to a background check because we don't want sleazy characters back there with our most precious resources. Volunteers that have submitted to a background check, lovingly taking care of your kids and grandkids. You'll come in here and listen to some really good music. Most of that comes from volunteers. You go to a Sunday school class, hopefully you went to one earlier, and you find volunteer teachers that have been praying and studying and seeking God so they can help us grow in the Word. These are volunteers that are so generous with their time, and I thank God for them. So, I'd like for you to think, what are some ways you could help use your time in the best possible way? If you're not one of those volunteers that fits into the, any, any of the above categories, maybe this verse will speak to you in 1 Corinthians 5, 58. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be up and down. It says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Always give yourself fully, not partially, fully to the Lord's work. Because what you do for the Lord is never in vain. The time you spend on social media, many times it's in vain. The time you spend watching television, many times in vain. Even most of the time I spend fishing is in vain. Catch nothing. Fish all night, catch no fish. Spending time for the Lord is never in vain. So how can we start breaking the back of greed, becoming generous with our time? Second area of generous living is to be generous with my gifts and abilities. And this ties in closely with our previous point. You see, you were created to do good works with the talents you've been given. Now, how could you use your talents to do that? Well, we first, when we first think of talents, I think about those who are up here in, in the band, and that's not for everybody. If you can't carry a tune in a bucket, that's not for you. Um, but but there, it goes way beyond music, musical talents. You could volunteer in the kids' ministries. Again, we go through a screening process. We take that very seriously. You could help volunteer lead a small group this fall. You could help volunteer to clean the church. There's so many ways that we can serve 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So a spiritual gift isn't to help ourselves. It's not to make us feel good about ourselves or to make us look good, but we use our talents and gifts to help others. The third area of generous living is to be generous with my money. Um, Be generous to those in need, not just for a tax write-off. Don't create an unhealthy dependence, dependency. Don't, don't give a handout, give a hand up. On occasion, we need to help with relief. And, uh, but, but we also need to help people in ways that won't create an unhealthy dependency. So, so, so be generous to the needy. But then we're also encouraged in the Bible to give our tithe. And there are some people who think, well, tithing is an Old Testament concept. But you will find that Jesus gives a very strong endorsement in Matthew 23, 23. And And he says, we're to take 10% of what we earn and give it back to him. Now, of course, everything already belongs to God, but he tests our love and commitment through this area of tithing. And and if I were to summarize all the New Testament teaching on this idea of tithing, I would use two words. Number one, the first word would be consistent. We're good at giving when there's a tragedy, an earthquake, a, uh, you know, a hurricane, whatever, we send money and, and it's kind of emotional giving and there's a, there's a place for that. But the Bible says that on the first day of the week, Sunday, the early Christians brought in their tithes. Second word is percentage. You know what? Tithing is so, so easy because taxes, it, it's so complex you know, you, you, you've got, you can have deductions, you can, you can make a whole bunch of money, and then with all of the deductions, it looks like you lost money. And, and that's legal. Uncle Sam is okay with that. Um, but, but it's so complex. Whereas tithing, God just says, you know, 10% of the increase. It's really simple. And, and, and you say, well, well, Pastor, is it on the gross or the net? Well, you decide. Do you want God to bless you off the gross or off the net? You, you make that decision. 
You know, and we referred to this earlier. Jesus said in one of the most famous passages on this topic in Matthew 6, 19, says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It goes on in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? By giving to something that's eternal. That leads us to the last area of generous living. We need to be generous with our testimony. God wants us to be quick to tell the story of how he has impacted our lives. Hit me the other day, but we can spend, we we can get together with a perfect stranger and immediately we're talking about the weather and sports. But why is it that whenever it comes to talking to them about the Lord, we say, well, you know, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to make them mad. When it comes to our faith, when, you know, we're to be generous with our testimony. So who do you need to share your story with? And you know what? We're, we're not talking about being a Bible thumper and just going them and being judgmental and telling them to turn or burn or anything like that, but just sharing what God has done in your life. So what could you do over the coming week to use your time, your gifts, your abilities, your testimony to make a difference for God. We're living in tough times and it's, we don't trust anybody. We don't trust anybody with our money. We don't trust anybody with secrets. And so what we tend to do is just begin to hold things with a closed fist. But God has called us to a life of generosity, of sharing. You know, as you drive around town, you see the needs, and some of those needs will not be met by just giving them money. There's a place for it. But I think a lot of times we feel like, you know, if I just give some money, then I will will have served my, done my duty. And again, there's a place for that. But I believe more than anything else, people today need our time. They need us to share our testimony with them. So who is it that this coming week that you can maybe impact, make a difference with? Break the back of greed with a spirit of generosity. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that, uh, I know we don't even see it in ourselves because it's so ingrained And so, therefore, we see it in other people, but, you know, we're not like them. But the truth is, Father, I think that there are several of us that maybe we need to be, uh, maybe we need to just learn what it means to uh, open our fist and, and give. Lord, that doesn't mean, again, that we give irresponsibly, but it means that we give according to the principles that you give in your word. So God, I pray when it comes to our time, let us be generous with our time. We know that we're all busy, but I pray that we would cut out those things in our life that would keep us from maybe investing in things that really um, are eternal. Father, I pray that you would help us with our talents, those gifts that you've given us, that we would use them. Use them to touch other people. And then, Lord, I, I pray that Also, God, when it comes to our money, that we would have the wisdom what to do, how to 
how to make a difference. And God, I pray that you would also just help our testimony. Help us not to be so private. Whatever you, you've given us eternal life, I pray that you would help us to want to share the good news of Jesus. So God, we thank you again for your word, the instructions that you give us. And Lord, as we continue with a couple more lessons in this series, I pray that, Lord, these root sins that bring about other issues in our lives, that we would be able to conquer them. Lord, we thank you again for these people. And Father, I pray a blessed week on the church here. I pray for a safe week. I pray for a godly week. I pray for a week that we can share our testimony with someone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.